0: Hello again. Hello again. Isn't it good when the technology finally works?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Kind of Kind of rare also. But uh, So, my friend, we're going to start a podcast. I guess we are. This is going to be
1: exciting and interesting and new. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously listen to a lot of podcasts and then, you know, the one thing you think about all the time is that, you know, could I make my own? Uh, and I mm. guess we're going to see now whether that's going to be a good idea or a bad idea.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. But maybe we should start by just, uh, you know, saying out there to everybody: we hope that they are safe and and in uh, good health and uh, looking after themselves and their families in these uh, interesting times. Yeah,
1: exactly. Important things first, right? Um, Absolutely.
0: So let's get going. We've got a name. Took a long time <laughs> to get a name,
1: but I think we kind of landed on a good one. The the name of the podcast, uh, if you didn't figure out, but uh, out by now is uh, is FinTech Daydreaming. And um, I guess what we should do is try to unpack a little bit what that means and how we actually landed uh, with this name. I think we should. Yep. Go for it. Oh, so the word fintech or financial technology became a mainstream phenomenon, you know, right around 2008 when the financial crisis uh, hit. And uh, back then the, uh, the trust in incumbent financial institution was, was really at an all time low. Now, these brand new fintech companies were going to make all these banks completely obsolete. Uh, no one is going, was going to need a bank in the future. It was just a matter of time. Do you, rem- do you remember that time, Paul, by the way?
0: I do indeed, yes. Yeah, And yes. I
1: remember the dot-com boom before that, right? Yeah, exactly. Lots As of always. similarities. There's always a boom. And I mean, what's the same with these booms always is that there's always this kind of uh, super energizing technology optimism. Everything is going to be okay, you know, with technology and uh, all the problems going to be fixed uh, by technology. Well, I, I for one was just happy to have a name, uh, a new cool name for the thing that I've been working on for more than six years back then. Uh, you know, at, at least it's easier to tell your mom what you're doing for your living, uh, you know, if nothing else. But uh, uh, you know, looking at these cycles, I mean, you know, there was an, almost like another round of this uh, uh, fintech boom in, back in 2015 uh, when, you know, the quote-unquote, the blockchain was going to reinvent the money. But I digress. We're talking about fintech here. So, uh, well, now the year is 2020. We obviously have a completely new type of crisis in our hands. Uh, and a lot of things have really gone forward. Uh, but the banks are still around. I mean, you know, things really have moved forward and, you know, the services are much better, uh, but banks really haven't lost any of their relevance. You could almost argue that they are even more relevant now uh, than, than they were back then when fintech was started. So what happened to fintech? Was it all just a daydream I, or is, was, uh, did something actually change uh, as a result of this? Now, in this podcast, uh, Paul and I are trying to pick a topic uh, for every episode that perhaps gives some context to the hopes and dreams uh uh, that fintech companies have had uh, for the past decade or so. And let, we'll try to see if we can better understand uh, what's going on in this industry and you know, how this new technology is impacting specifically financial services, which is the industry where we both uh, working, work in. So, this is fintech daydreaming. This is fintech daydreaming. You're absolutely right. So, dear listeners, welcome
0: to the first episode of uh, fintech daydreaming the podcast by Villa Sointo and Paul Krogdal, the two dudes sitting up in Finland. So maybe we should introduce ourselves, Villa, right? So that people can uh, know who we are. So I'm Paul Krogdal. Mm -hmm. I am a technologist, a technology freak, I suppose you could say. Uh, I work in consulting focused on uh, the banking industry and the banks. I suppose you could say I am a technologist, a father, and a racing car driver. Uh, In my spare time, I I race a, a racing car, and and even there, it's it's about the technology and the tinkering more than the racing. I wouldn't actually say that I'm a very good uh, racing driver. Well, I'm a safe racing driver, but uh, maybe not a very good one. But I spend a lot of my time actually trying to IoT enable my racing car, trying to, to get at the data, etc. So continuing on the technology front, right? Uh, but that's, that's me, a quick introduction to me. And people, you'll get to, to know more about me as we go through these episodes. But what about you, Villa?
1: Yeah, well, like you heard in the intro a little bit, I mean, I've been in the financial industry uh, or fintech industry for quite a while now. Actually, uh, I'm coming up on 18 years. Uh, I started back in 2002. And before I, you know, started looking into how how does banking really work and how do payments really work, I was actually working in the telecom industry. And that kind of uh, combination of uh, mobile technology uh, already back then uh, with, you know, WAP and all those fancy cool things uh, back in the early 2000s was the kind of gateway. Way for me to financial services, so I've been a uh, I'm a technologist just like you, uh, engineer by background, and uh, I've always been fascinated by uh, how does new technology impact existing uh, business models, and uh, in this case specifically financial services. So I, I guess you could say I'm a fintech nerd. I uh, I thoroughly uh, enjoy uh, reading geeky new specifications and uh, and you know all these. What some people would consider boring things, and I, I, I truly enjoy that. Uh, I'm a bit weird like that, I guess. I worked in different uh, kind of parts of the ecosystem. So I've been, uh, I've been working in, uh, in at the technology provider or the vendor side uh, for quite a while. Uh, I've been working with projects uh, all around the world in Asia, Africa, Middle East, uh, US. Uh, and obviously in Europe as well. But now for the past three years, I've been working in a, in a, a financial institution or a bank uh, here in the Nordics, uh, and uh, I, I still get to work with the stuff that I love, which is uh, emerging technologies and uh, seeing how we can actually, uh, you know, move the needle a little, little bit uh, in this industry, uh, you know, in the, in the coming years uh, and decades, uh, if you will. I was just about to say that, you know, if you, if you get to talk about your race uh, race uh, car driving, then I, I I guess I need to share a little bit uh, about my personal uh, side as well. I don't have a cool hobby like you, but uh, I I do enjoy, uh, you know, uh, watching uh, specifically American sports. And you know, even at the risk of losing like uh, half of the listeners that we have right now, I have to say that I'm I'm a huge Boston sports fan. So I'm a uh, i am I watch uh, the New England Patriots, uh, the Red Sox, uh, the Boston Bruins, and the and the Boston Celtics. Uh, All the time. So I spent way too much time uh, watching American sports. Now, obviously, with the current situation, you know, uh, no sports are available, but I'm sure, you know, these things will pick up uh, later on. But yeah, I guess that's uh, that's a good segue to the topic of the podcast. Yes, it is. So the current
0: times, Mm -hmm. COVID 19, everybody's talking about it at the moment, right? So I suppose. It's it's only fair that we do the same, yeah. And uh, and and look at it, particularly from a a perspective of the banks. That's our focus area, right? How how do you think? How, how have you seen this sort of play out? Where do you think the banks are going to go from here? I've I've had some really interesting discussions with some of the banks. Discussions around you know things like the the new way of working. Banks starting to adopt to the fact that people are going to start working remotely more, and I think. The remote working fits into two categories right there's the there's the remote working of of the staff of the bank and i know some of the banks are talking about moving 40 percent or so of their workforce out to be remote working and there's also some ideas of of utilizing existing branch offices as satellites for for their uh, their workforce but it's also the change that's coming to to society To to us as people and consumers in the banks, because we also are moving more towards a, a remote working and remote engagement model, right? We want to have this social distancing. I think social distancing is not going to go away. It's going to continue even though the pandemic goes down which means that people are going to want to spend less time in branch offices. They're going to want to be interacting with their banks a lot more remotely, which puts a an, an immense pressure on the banks to really refocus back onto digital transformation. Right? A lot of work has been done on fancy front ends. The fintechs have come along and helped to, to drive this sort of uh, engagement and user experience, uh, etc. But a lot of the banks, I mean, if we're really honest, right, a lot of the banks have neglected to... Uh, to really get up to speed in the back end, in the back office, the back office systems. A lot of those are still manual. There's still a lot of manual processing, etc. So I think that's one of the main impacts that I'm, I believe we're gonna see, right? Coming out of the back of this. What do you think? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess you know the first thought that comes to mind when talking about the the COVID nineteen situation is that uh, is there anything left to be said uh, of interest (laughs) on this topic? (laughs) Because you know uh, there's uh, almost like everything that you hear uh, on the news and the radio and TV. I mean, everywhere uh, it's just about this topic. But you know, uh, a lot of the things you said uh, are are actually super interesting. Now, you know, uh, working you know inside a bank myself, I can you know perhaps uh, you know share some of the observations uh, you know that. You know working inside a bank when you what you see uh when how do we handle this crisis and you know talking to my peers in you know in other banks uh, all around the world uh i do realize that you know this uh the way we've handled this uh all the nordic banks have handled uh, the situation is vastly different from uh the way uh other banks perhaps around the world have been able to cope with the crisis but uh, the, uh uh, there's a couple of you know of interesting areas uh, that you know were obviously impacted quite quickly. Uh, you know, number one was the uh, the customer service. So how do we actually make sure that you know our digital channels are able to uh, kind of cover for the for the absence of uh, of you know uh, kind of advisory services in branches and and all of these things? So we have to move a lot of the uh, the, the physical activities onto onto digital channels, and uh, it's actually I mean kind of surprising, but not really surprising that, you know, that has worked out quite well. Uh, you know, already before the crisis was happening, you know, there's the the, the long going trend in the Nordic Nordic countries where, you know, the number of branches is being reduced and, you know, the uh, the amount of you know, cash services is being taken down deliberately uh, so that, you know, when, you know, if you if you do need to deal with cash, you can do that. Uh, all those services are available, but uh, since the demand for cash is going down, you know, obviously the, the amount of cash services also uh, reducing so the branches already had been moving into this advisory mode and you know even then the uh, the br- branches were doing you know booking only or scheduled meetings only type of uh, type of things and uh, that works quite well now in digital channels as well you can in the same way as you did uh you know booking for a physical meeting in a branch now you can do that uh over digital channels and uh, you know I-, I would almost say that you know the banks were like in the Nordics, uh, you know, were surprised at how well that had actually worked out. I mean, ev- nothing is perfect, but uh, I think, you know, uh, all things considered, it's actually worked out quite well. Uh, people are quite used to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, with this, uh, you know, remote tools to talk to each other over uh, voice or, or video. Now, there's obviously the question that always comes to mind is the what about the, uh, you know, the non tech savvy uh, customers, I mean, obviously, uh, super important uh, customers uh, for everybody. And uh, how do you kind of do all of that? Uh, well, this is, you know, a challenge for sure. Uh, you know the uh, the amount of effort that was put before the crisis into 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 kind of educating the seniors and you know uh, organizing uh, all sorts of uh, uh, advisory and training sessions on how to use uh, modern tools like mobile phones uh, to to deal with your banking uh, mm-hmm. needs. I mean those kind of face to face things can't happen anymore at least for the time being, uh, especially when you know they are uh, in in kind of. Uh, Uh, risk groups uh, in many times, uh, these uh, people uh, who are not that tech-savvy. So that's a bit of a thing to solve. Uh, for now, but uh, you know, there's already ways we can reach out uh, over uh, social media, for example, to do uh, to do these types of things, and then provide information over uh, over the phone and uh, uh, through our websites. But it's it, it's definitely a challenge going forward. Which is a segue to the kind of third thing I wanted to mention before uh, uh, before I give it back to you, Paul, uh, is the uh, is the question of uh, uh, fraud. So you know, if uh, if uh, you know, the uh, advisory services become remote, does that actually mean an increase in in fraud, uh, in payment fraud and, you know, uh, basically identity theft and defrauding our customers? And this is a big concern uh, right now. I mean, we've already seen the... Uh, uh, you know a lot of the uh, the scamming uh, that's going on and you know the fraud cases that uh, that's got going on have started to brand themselves with this kind of uh, covid-19 uh flavor if you will the, the scams themselves don't really look that different So, so they're typically related to stealing credentials and trying to get access to your uh to your banking uh but the uh but you know they are using this crisis as uh, as kind of a trigger uh so you know trying to say that you know because of uh covid-19 now you need to do xyz uh, uh, even though the scam in the background is uh, is a little bit the same as it as it was before so yeah so this is keeping us uh, awake at night for sure uh, and we try to of course uh, make sure we we uh, reach out and educate our customers as much as possible to uh, us and other banks obviously uh, to make sure that you know this uh, situation is well understood the the other interesting thing you know which is uh, you can actually see from the from the data is that now that people are you know no longer traveling, for example, that gives uh, less exposure, uh, for, uh, for people to kind of, you know, be careless, uh, with their, uh, credit cards, uh, in the, uh, in the circumstances where you're kind of traveling and, you know, getting exposed to, uh, you know, uh, you know, people uh, in with like high volume tourist attractions and so, which are you know typically a problematic area for for card car fraud and you know copying uh, card credentials, since they are no longer exposed to these uh, traveling situations as much. Uh, there's a, there's a case you could say that you know actually the amount of uh, fraud, uh, especially on the card payment side, is uh, is a little bit less uh, than it was before. Now I guess it's just a matter of time before you know the criminals uh, start to pick up their activities on online, uh, and of course we have prepared for that as well but uh, we'll see how it goes I think this uh, is an interesting kind of uh, phenomenon uh, going on you know with so much traffic moving online uh, and I think that's going to have an impact on the, uh, the fraud side as well
0: uh, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. I, we're seeing a lot more of um, uh, criminals trying to take advantage of the insecurity and fear in consumers uh, with a lot of you know, new or should I say new flavoured old approaches. But there's, there's also a, another side to that coin when it comes to, to the bank employees by moving bank employees out of a controlled environment and, and to their homes working from mm. home. Mm-hmm. There's less security in monitoring them, you know. The ability of copying stuff from screens, uh, et cetera, is also there. So there's also that element from a a security perspective, and the move from from everybody working centrally in call centers, et cetera, to moving to to walk, working remotely. Yeah, I actually I actually saw a very interesting uh, presentation the other day talking around moving moving some of the functionalities in branch offices towards uh, supporting a more social distancing capability and and one of the interesting demos uh, in in the presentation was talking about replacing security cameras to also have security cameras with heat sensors in them so they would actually sense when a customer comes in has got a fever or not right Mm -hmm. to be able to, to be able to say you know this person has got fever maybe maybe we don't want them to be in our branch office at this time and then also moving towards having branch office visits which are by appointment basis only the other thing that also is happening today or was happening before the covid situation was very much this you know the advisor and the customer sitting together looking at one screen uh, as they were going through processes i think that's going to rapidly change to to either being you know double screened or or much more remote from each other
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah 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 i think uh, you know since you know we're talking about fintech i guess we have to touch on the topic uh, uh, as well that you know if you look at the kind of uh, news kind of stream going on about, you know, financial technology and, and banks uh, with regards to COVID-19, I think, you know, both uh, are declaring victory on this. Uh, <laughs> you can say that the, the banks are saying that we're doing a fantastic job. Everything is like, you know, just like we wanted it to be. And uh, and the fintechs are saying that, you know, now finally we have uh, a chance to kind of uh, uh, boost, uh, you know, our, our ratings and uh, our customer numbers because, you know, we are better at digital uh, than the existing banks. So, both are declaring victory in a way. So, what do you think? I mean, which one is winning? Uh, you know, are the fintech challengers uh, or the incumbent banks uh, winning the kind of PR battle uh, for COVID nineteen? I think I think
0: that's an interesting one. I think if we look at the the numbers that are sort of being presented around, th- there is a trend at the moment of consumers uh, actually moving back towards the, the the larger traditional banks, right? There's there's an element of of security and trust. So so as as you know covid has hit uh, a lot of consumers have started moving away from the fintech banks and the neo banks and starting to put their their money and trust back into the incumbent banks yeah. and i can understand that trend right I, it's the, you want you want to hedge your bets and you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and and whilst some of the digital only neo banks uh, have continued to uh, to grow there's also been the opposite side of the coin right we we've seen very recently RBS have announced that they're going to close bull uh, which was their challenger bank that they put up now whether that is actually being driven by by the uh, the current crisis or not that that's That's something I'm not going to speculate on at the moment, but I think that it probably has had some of an impact, right, where consumers, general consumers have have said, well, I don't know where this is going. I don't know about my financial security. I don't know about the future. I don't know if I'm going to have a job Uh, and I don't know if the banks are going to disappear or if if this digital only bank that I am I am trusting on is is going to survive this uh, uh, crisis. So, therefore, I can understand that pulling away and going back to um, to a traditional bank, if I could call them a traditional bank, but I also see there's another side of this as well, right, and that is that's consumers that are uh, confused, scared, and not understanding really what is what is their options, how are they going to to secure their their financial livelihood and, and what options should they make going forwards. And I think here across the board, whether you want to say fintechs or, or neobanks uh, or, or even the, the traditional banks have failed in delivering advisory capabilities and services to the consumers across the board. There's always been, for the select few, there's always been, you know, a, a relationship where advisory services are delivered on a one-to-one basis. But I think with advancements in, in AI and cognitive computing, with uh, the, the sort of move towards ecosystems and, and platform business models... I think there's a, an opportunity here for either, you know, an existing bank or or a collection of of fintechs, etc., to come together and actually create advanced advisory services that will help individuals in in their financial journey and in, in their life going forwards. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I actually it's time to realise that this is probably a topic for a completely another other episode of uh, of our podcast, maybe. But, I mean. It's, it's all about, you know, efficiency and, you know, how do you actually make the uh, the services uh, more affordable uh, going forward? There's a yes. reason why uh, advisory services are available for high-tier customers of banks, for example. I mean, it's the simple fact that you actually have to have people working on it. Uh, and uh, it's not only the person you're talking to. There's also a lot of research that goes back to it. And so effectively, these are expensive services. So the question becomes, you know, in not only in, in, in advisory services, but also, you know, in areas like trade finance, for example, is that how do you bring the cost of service down? And when you do, does it mean that you're able to reach uh, new customer segments? So, you know, with trade finance services, we've seen that, we, you know, uh, now having uh, smaller and smaller companies have access to uh, to financing, uh, supply chain financing and uh, an invoice factoring, for example, to throw a few geek, geeky terms there uh, into the into the mix, but on the on the advisory side, I mean, you know, if, if the the price of advisory becomes more affordable, uh, you know, from a services standpoint, when we actually have AI, uh, robotics, and, uh, and cognitive computing uh, in the background, that means that uh, you know these advisory services and you know guiding our customers uh, with you know their preferences on how they want to manage their monetary lives becomes uh, more efficient, uh, and you know more accurate, more lower risk, uh, for everybody involved. And I think that's the kind of, uh, the kind of the, uh, thread, uh, of how technology actually helps. Uh, it's never going to be like a big bang thing that, you know, one day I wake up and, uh, and technology has changed the world. Uh, it is really that uh, you know, uh, incrementally we kind of take down the cost of services uh, and make it uh, more more trusted, more uh, consistent, less risky, uh, and therefore cheaper uh, to produce and you know make it uh, accessible for everybody. Ultimately, this is also the uh, the core of the issue in, in in financial inclusion, for example, which I guess is another uh, to episode topic uh, going forward. But yeah, I, I wanted to pick up on the uh, uh, what you mentioned there a while while back which was that uh, uh, RBS's uh, bow uh, you know closed down. Uh, there's a kind of a Interesting history of uh, of that project for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, banks were watching that project, looking at you know, does it really work uh, when uh, a bank uh, start, an incumbent bank starts their own digital branch, and uh, how how does it really work? I guess you know, a lot of the uh, you know doubters are now happy to say that you know ah it doesn't work. Uh, the only option for it is to uh, is to kind of stick with the incumbent banks and wait for them to transform, and others are saying that you know there's lessons learned in Bo and there's still plenty of this project Around uh, that are actually succeeding. I mean, even with RBS, I mean, they still have metal, right? So they are, uh, they are kind of. Uh, com- they, I think they said that they're combining these efforts, and uh, they will continue on that uh, that line. We'll sell, see how it works out. But the. Uh, uh, i guess the jury is still out i mean this uh you know what does it mean to how do you transform a bank which i guess is the bigger question behind uh, behind these bank projects uh do you do you kind of do it from the from from the inside by you know uh, changing the uh, the plumbing uh gradually and you know to transforming the culture uh you know slowly but surely which is hard or do you start a kind of a satellite uh uh, like like r b s did with Bo, and then uh, start to kind of cannibalize the uh, the core business uh, in a in a way that of of course remains to be seen if that 's an effective strategy uh, at least it's uh, it 's a very challenging one, and I guess the third one is to if you actually just acquire uh, uh, a digital bank, uh, and you know, then uh, try to kind of uh, take the uh, culture from uh, from this uh, digital bank, and uh, try to kind of uh, protect it, and also make sure that you know your your uh, existing banking operations are adapting the practices from uh, the good practices from these uh, from these digital banks and uh, keeping the bad ones out. But yeah, I think those those three options are uh, a lot of the bank boards are looking at those questions right now, and they're trying to think, you know, how do we actually make this happen? Because one thing is for sure, uh, the banks do need to transform, and they do need to make, be more efficient uh, with a lot of these things, and um, uh, we just need to figure out how that's going to happen.
0: Yes, and I think it it demonstrates it's not easy, right? It doesn't matter whether you are, are starting up as a, a fintech or a a digital-only neo bank, uh, or if you're incumbent bank trying to uh, to branch out into to uh, more digital capabilities it's 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 not necessarily easy it's it's a difficult game to get involved in and some are gonna win and some are
1: gonna lose yeah but i'm i'm, yeah. I'm quite sure that you know different regions and different uh kind of parts of the world will have different solutions so it's something that works in the nordics Perhaps doesn't work uh, in uh, in Southeast Asia, for example. So, no. we will see different results around the world. I think it's we will never have a definite definitive answer uh, to this question either. Which I guess is the way the world just works. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Considering considering where we're going to end up out of the back of of COVID and and what we're some people are calling the new norm i think we're going to start seeing a move towards society 5.0 where ecosystems and platforms become even more important uh and this collaboration rather than competing uh becomes a, a new pattern so maybe maybe for our our, uh, our next episode we should look a little bit more into uh to platformification of banking you know the long-term vision of open banking and and, and ecosystems and and where that model is heading what do you think
1: yeah, I think this collaborative approaches to building new value propositions is is interesting, uh, especially because you know if you if you look at the one thing that fintechs have actually changed uh, in the uh, in the banking world, it is that banks are now more open. Uh, you know, wh- whether that is through regulation like PSD2, you know, and banks opening up their APIs because they have to, or whether it's a, it's an actual culture change uh, in banks where they, they've realized that, you know, op- opening up actually means that, uh, you know, the banks get to focus on, on what they want to focus on and, you know, leave the, uh, the complex uh, and fancy new things uh, for uh, partners to develop, for example. So I think this kind of collaborative uh, approaches and partnership approaches is, uh, is one of the concrete things coming out of the fintech phenomenon and i think it's a good idea to to discuss this ecosystem approach perhaps in the next episode
0: yeah okay dear listeners that was uh, the first episode of of our podcast on uh, fintech uh, daydreaming in the next episode we'll look further into um, the uh, the future of open banking or more platformification of banking and where we think that that's going or or some thoughts from from Villa and myself on on that future trend. I'll leave you with one thought, and that's around the the trend of fintechs uh, as we're talking about that and focused on that. The the fintech model to date has been focused around the fintechs cherry-picking off existing banking services and then creating new fancy wrappers, digital wrappers around them, going to deliver uh, fantastic user experiences my my thought on this is is really what it's doing is unbundling banking the fintechs are unbundling banking and creating these apps for users to have on their mobile phones my my question to you is does this mean that we're heading towards a future where you as a citizen a consumer a person will end up with your banking life being spread across a multitude of different ...apps on your mobile device that are not interconnected and therefore, as I said, unbundling and and complicating your financial uh, life even more. Is, Is that a direction that we are going in? Is that a direction that you would like to go in? Or do you feel that future of banking really should be about bundling back together these banking services and capabilities but for them to be wrapped around a advisory capability that really guides and helps you towards being able to uh to feel like you've got financial security i think that's a good question for us to go into in our next podcast and uh villa and i are grateful that you've uh, stuck with us for this first episode talk to you again in in about two weeks time
1: thank you you for listening